You guys, this is a really special episode with Jeremy Slate, one of the podcasting gurus of our generation. He actually owns a podcast booking company, and this has been one of my favorite interviews. He really does deliver some absolute gold when it comes to growing your podcast and booking yourself on top podcasts. He has been you know, on all of these top podcasts, including Entrepreneur on Fire, and he's had ridiculous guests on his show as well. So you're really going to want to stick around, watch this episode, and let's get right into it. Like, you guys stink. Go away. <laughs> yeah. And- what is up, Mentors Collective? This episode is going to be super special, and I'm actually really excited because on my podcast today, we have one of the kings of podcasts. Uh, somebody from a company that I'm actually very familiar with. This is the founder of the Create Your Own Life podcast, which studies the highest performers in the world. He studied literature at Oxford University, specializes in using podcasting and new media to create celebrity, and was actually ranked number one on iTunes New and number 78 in the iTunes Top 100. Named the number one podcast to listen to by Inc. Magazine 2019, as well as being named a top influencer in Forbes. After his success in podcasting, this guy and his wife founded Command Your Brand to help entrepreneurs get their message out by appearing as guests on podcasts. On this episode, I bring to you Jeremy Slate. Thank you so much for coming on the show, brother. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm I'm stoked to be chatting with you today. Yeah, it was funny. When I got connected with you, I recognized the name of your company immediately because you guys do such a good job pitching. Oh, thank you pitching your customers to me to come on my show. I think I've actually had a couple of you guys. I, I appreciate that when it's always that and not the opposite. Like, you guys stink, go away. <laughs> yeah, and I, I get that too. You know, I've had bad cold email and cold outreach and people trying to, you know, get get on the show or, or get X, Y, and Z. You guys actually do a really good job. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I had to give you give you some uh, commencement there. But anyways, uh, I, have, I have you for a few minutes here and you are one of the you know, top experts that I've talked to personally on not only building a podcast, but getting booked on top podcasts. So super excited to, to get some value from you. And for everybody who's listening, this is gonna, going to be a special treat. So again, thank you so much. And to kind of get started, uh, you know, we'd love to, obviously, I just gave some background on uh, your history with podcasts, but why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown? How did you get to where you are today? So interestingly enough, um, my master's degree is in early Roman Empire propaganda. So it's like not a very like, hey, I'm going to go out and get a job in that. Like, it's not really something like that. Um, I studied literature at New College Oxford, and my intention was to be a college professor. So I applied to one school for a PhD program, which is NYU. Um, I didn't get into that school. And um, I ended up actually teaching high school, which I wasn't super, super happy doing. In 2012, my mom ended up having a really bad stroke. And it made me look at a lot of different things that I was doing. And I had decided at that point in time, like, all right, I'm going to go full time into this, this new business opportunity I just discovered, which was network marketing. And um, I've never seen anything like it before. So I thought I was going to be like a millionaire in like three days. Didn't work like that. I spent you know, like, you know, three or four years trying to make it go right. We did okay. I alienated a lot of people that are close to me. And I realized like this probably isn't the right business for me. I went from there to selling life insurance, which I was good at, but I hated the idea of sitting down with someone and being like, so you're going to die? You need to buy this. Like, it just felt really morbid to me and really weird. So went from there, then selling products on Amazon. And I left the get my product for a dollar promo code on my product listing. So I lost all my products in like 20 minutes. So I was very quickly out of business. So like, I'm, I think we're seeing a trend here. There's not a lot of things I succeeded at early on. So I had been a podcast listener since 2009. 
I had a college professor that was a huge fan of a, a podcast called the No Agenda Show. And I walked into his office one day. I'm like, what is this? And uh, I've been listening to that show since. I think there are like 1,400 episodes or something like that now. So still to this day, I listen to that show. So I'd always been a big podcast fan. And when I had failed at all these things, I actually ended up working at a friend's um, web design firm. I had taught myself how to build websites. So I started podcasts really just as a hobby. The first version was called Rock Your Life. It was horrible. It was like super life coachy, like not very good, which I'm the furthest thing from because I like totally lack empathy. Um, I quit that in about 60 days and uh, just kind of gave up from there. But then in 2015, I finally started this show, which is Create Your Own Life. And I took it seriously. I really treated it like a professional you know, avenue. And we had 10,000 listens in our first 30 days. And that's, you know, the rest is history. That's amazing. And for everybody who's listening, uh, I have a, a large audience of entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs there. Your entrepreneurial journey is so similar to most that I've talked to who end up very <laughs> successful. It's usually starting something in sales, something with website design, yeah. try and sell a product that usually fails. And then you just fell into something that you were passionate about that worked. And now you're running this awesome company. So, you know, that that's awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. You know, it's, it's funny too, because I feel like a lot of people, like, especially like when they're trying to write like really great internet marketing copy, they leave out all of that stuff and they just find the one thing that like justifies what they're trying to sell you right now. But like, it's not linear, man. It just isn't linear. There's a lot of different things you have to do to make something go right. 100%, 100%. So super valuable for everybody to hear. And I was surprised to hear, you know, the first month at launching your podcast, you had that many downloads listens. That's pretty crazy. What, what year was it that you actually started the show? That was November 20th of 2015 was the, the very first uh, episode of Create Your Own Life. Okay, so about five years ago. And obviously, the, the world of podcasting has changed a bit. You know, I didn't get in until relatively recently. Now, everybody and their grandmother has their podcast. So many shows out there. And the competition is just crazy. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine it was a little bit less five years ago. Um, yeah, I think there's like 1.7 million shows out there now, probably 1.8. Like, it's been growing a lot is what we kind of have now. I think 18% of those are actually like publishing at least monthly. So they're, they're active. I think at that point in time, there was like 250,000 shows or something like that. And everybody's like, wow, that's so many podcasts. Um, we've grown a lot since then, man. It's just such a good platform to do something like this, you know, getting on with somebody that I respect and I want to learn from. And now you're, you know, sharing some value with each other and our audience and making a connection and 30 minutes to an hour. So I understand the allure and why everybody is flocking to podcasts. And I also love consuming them. I learn a ton from podcasts. I learn, uh, I subscribe to marketing stuff, to market stuff, all kinds of stuff. So it's just been a blast. But talk to me a little bit about- you know, I'm, start I'm weird, by the way. <laughs> like you should see some of the podcasts I listen to, like lore, ghost stories, conspiracy theories. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm learning, but it's fun. <laughs> yep. Stuff you should know, conspiracy theories. I've-, yeah. I've I've touched on a lot of that stuff too. It is a blast. And there's a podcast on everything. You look yeah. for something weird on, on the Apple podcast store. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, so let's get into some, some value here. When you yeah. first started your show, obviously you had a fail first. I mean, what yeah. were your biggest lessons from that first show that you started that you gave up on and decided to rebrand and launch a new one? Well, I guess just the first was the numbers. Like, like that first podcast, I had like 60 downloads in, in like 90 days of like the whole show, 60 downloads. So like, and, and we had like 45 episodes. That means like literally like one person was listening to like an episode and a half. And it was probably my mom. I don't, I don't know. Like that was kind of my, my whole audience. So, and, th and there's a few things behind that. Like, like I said, number one, it wasn't like authentically, you know, good content. Like it just wasn't very good. It was like this, 
I'd read it in a personal development book or I picked it up from somebody else. Like it, and it wasn't even interview driven. It was just me speaking for 20 to 40 minutes at a time, usually done the night before. And I was convinced I had this giant audience and I had to get them out. Like, I don't even know how to convince myself that. And so I, I, I was getting these episodes out the night before, you know, nobody's really listening to them. At that point in time, I was still using an iBook G4. That was even before the MacBook and no microphone or anything like that. So it just wasn't very good content, wasn't easy to listen to. And I had created a graphic on a friend's computer using Microsoft Paint. Like that, that's how bad this was. So this is like, you think of like the worst podcast you've ever seen and that's version 1.0. So anything other than that was really, really good. So I, I had always loved podcasts. So I, when I did that first one and it just failed so bad, I'm just like, wow, this is horrible. But I, I had had the idea about a year later, like, Hey, I can do this again, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it as a professional. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to really fail. Right. I'm going to just kind of go for it. So I, I got some good design. I used, I think at that point in time, we used uh, 99 designs to kind of do our first cover and get something out there. And we've, we've upgraded since then over the years, but that was the first thing. The second thing was getting a good mic. And I didn't even go crazy. Like, um, like now I'm using a, uh, a, uh, SM7B, like it's a super high-end studio mic. When I first started, it was like a ATR 2100, which is like a $60 mic, which is a great mic. So, but it was at least something like I had to make this something so people could listen to it, which I think is really, really important. The other thing is the content. I had, like I said, I had based it on myself and I wasn't really an expert at anything. I could tell you how to fail at a lot of things, but I wasn't really an expert at anything. So I made a list of the top 100 people I most admired and I decided I was just going to go for it and reach out to these people. And, you know, the first person I reached out to was Seth Godin and he was super nice. He said, you know, I wish you luck, but when you get to 400 episodes, let me know. So, you know, he is episode 400 of the show. So I, I did follow up with him around 390 and get that done. But, you know, really reaching out for the top guests, I found to be really, really important. And the other thing too, because I, I think so many people have this idea of if, if you build it, they will come, you know, they've, they've seen the movie Field of Dreams and they think people are just going to find you. It's just not like that. So I realized if I was going to create this thing, I was going to have better guests. It was going to be more listenable. I had to work really darn hard to get it out there. I hadn't really built much of a following. I think I had like 190 followers on Twitter or something like that. But I had built up a decent following on LinkedIn at that point in time because I had this whole fitness background and I was in this, you know, this fitness MLM and things like that. So I had enough people that kind of knew me in that area. So I was able to reach out to a lot of people on LinkedIn. So I sent 3,000 individual LinkedIn messages, you know, all by hand before I knew like automation was a thing. I sent out 500 Facebook messages and I think I got to 500. They actually blocked me and they say, hey, you can't send this link anymore for two weeks. I had built up a small email list with, a, I think, like 500 people on it or something like that. So I reached out to those people, texted every single person in my phone. I think you're seeing a trend here, like just trying to do anything I can do to make this go right. And I knew the really, really important thing was number of subscribers I can get. Like reviews look great for social proof, but they don't do a ton to rank a podcast. It's actually the number of subscribers you currently you can currently gain in ratio to your current total subscribers. So I really pushed that number. That was a really big deal. And at that point in time, iTunes knew Noteworthy was still open. I know for four, for like four years it was locked and then it opened back up, but I was able to get into that and I got free promo for eight weeks. So a lot of that hard work got me that got me in front of people and continuing to like do great episodes. But like, that's what it was all about, man. Like just really knowing what the key statistic was pushing as hard as you can and just, you know, shamefully get it in front of anybody, you know? Yeah. And that's super important to know. I actually thought that the key statistic was reviews. So I've been trying to pump Well, up. reviews are great, but they don't, yeah. they really don't do much. And I, I know this cause I've tested and I've tested with other people's shows and things like that. If you can get a bunch of people to 
subscribe and basically screenshot you the subscribe so that they, you know they did it, um, you could see a much bigger bump than reviews. Reviews are very, very minimal in terms of of actual, um, you know, moving the, the needle. It's, it's kind of a hierarchy. Like the first thing is subscribes, followed by listens, followed by reviews. So if you can kind of really target subscribes, you can get 10 subscribers and actually jump from, from nowhere into the top 200 of a subcategory of a chart. So it's really target subscribes. Okay. Love that. And that's, that's some golden nuggets right there. And the other thing you touched on that obviously is super important, no matter what social platform that you're publishing on is the quality of the content. You can have all the, you know, four subscribes and reviews that you want, but if people come and they don't last very long, every algorithm in the world is going to say, this show's not any good and not going to show it to anybody. So quality of the content, obviously authentic, authenticity is huge. You figure that out. You, you know, you, you found content that was authentic to you and then you were able to find good guests. What was Mm -hmm. your strategy for, you know, for booking people like Seth Godin? And it probably didn't start off Seth Godin. Right. It it probably, probably started off smaller. You know, where did you, how, how did you profile them? How did you decide who, who you wanted on the show? Did you incentivize them to come on the show in any way? Talk to me a little bit about uh, your guest booking. So, so you'll love this first of all, because I think everybody can kind of relate to this. I had, when I had done an original show, I had done two interviews for that show, but I never aired them because I kind of gave up before I did anything with them. But the guests just happened to be friends of mine that were like people that were decently well-known, like, uh, you know, somebody used to play wide receiver for the Giants and, you know, another guy that ran one of the biggest real estate uh, deals in the country. So I, I had these two interviews done. And the, here's the crazy part about it. Like, I didn't even know, like, how you record interviews. So I had figured out this weird way to, like, split the MIDI inputs on my laptop and use, like, two separate, like, earbuds to, to record them. So somehow I had these interviews that were, like, they were decent. So I had these first couple that I could use because social proof is really important as a pitch. And that's, that's kind of why I'm making this point here. So when I write a pitch, I always lead with the purpose, like why I'm doing this, because I think too many times people lead with numbers. And if you don't have big numbers, you're not going to win with that. So I find you always want to talk about purpose, why that person matters to you. And, you know, and then if you have media and press, great, mention it. But if you don't, don't mention it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it always hurts you if you, if, if you don't have it. The other thing is I mentioned those couple interviews that I had done early on. That was social proof. Nobody knew who those people are. Well, people knew who Steve Baker was, you know, Steve Baker, the touchdown maker. So, but people knew who didn't really know who these people were. So I just described them. I had these two people that had done interviews. So that got me, it got me some yeses. So then I, I changed previous guests to um, interviews scheduled and done. Cause then I could say, Oh, well, I, I, every time I got somebody to, to agree, that was well enough known. I added them to the list. Like one of the first people to say yes was uh, Wayne root. Who's uh big in the casino world and he's on TV a lot and stuff like that. So I added him to the list. And then every time I, I did more, I did that. So that was the really, really the key thing. I also learned a lot about the hierarchy of who you talk to and how you talk to them. Um, one of the first tools I was using was something called um, it was originally called email Hunter, but now it's called hunter.io. And you can use that to kind of see existing emails like at a site. And I always learn like if I can get in front of the person, like the person I want to interview, I'm going to have a much better chance of actually getting the interview. Whereas the, the hierarchy looks like this. The person's first, their assistant comes next. After that is, you know, their PR person. Underneath that is their um, manager. And then anybody outside of that isn't really going to help you. Like, you know, somebody that claims they know them or their speaker, like they're, if they work with a speaker booking agency, you never want to talk with a speaker booking agency because that's the person that says, well, you pay me $20,000 to get you on a stage. 
So every time you talk to them, it costs $20,000. You know what I mean? That's how it works. So once you kind of learn how to do that, you really have a better chance of, you know, getting in front of them. And the more episodes you get, the better, bigger audience you get, the easier it gets. But initially it's purpose. It's why this matters to you and why this matters to them. People you've previously had on the show. And if you have press, great. If you don't skip it. But that's, that's really what worked for me. And then as I've went through the years, it's been networking and meeting other people. I also had a really great tool as well called contactanycelebrity.com. Uh, I literally thought it was a joke the first time I found it in Google, but I've used it and I've gotten like, I, I got Danica Patrick through that service. I got, um, trying to think of who else I got to that service. Oh, uh, Jonathan Goldsmith from the most interesting man in the world from the Dosecki's commercials. So like a lot of that's really helped me to, to book great guests. Interesting. And I'm, I'm interested to hear that you book them through email, mostly finding their email address and trying email, to get yeah. in touch with them. Yeah. Not social media. Is that something that you tried like an Instagram DM or something so, along those lines? Like I said, initially I didn't have a big audience in those places. Yeah. So I didn't, it just wouldn't look as credible. Now I do have a large audience in those places. So I have success using them, but initially I didn't. So I had to use what I had in the beginning. So I've had a lot of success booking athletes via Instagram, but that's like now that my following's over 30,000. So like, you know, I, I got uh, former New York Yankee Nick Swisher that way. I've got uh, former Green Bay Packer AJ Hawk. So I've had a lot of success reaching out to athletes there. Um, you know, I mean, I've been reaching out to some actors and things like that. I just haven't had as much success. Athletes, I've had a ton of success talking to on Instagram. Yeah, very cool. I've actually noticed that as well. Athletes are, are much more responsive. But, you know, yeah. after getting a blue check mark and having over 100,000 followers, that, that, that's been helping me as well. Yeah, I don't have the, I don't have the blue check mark there. I have it on I have it on Facebook and I have it on Twitter and on Twitter. And I guess the thing I'm curious about because we'll I know on we'll talk after this. Oh, cool. I, I know on Twitter the thing that's been really helpful to me there is you get the the second timeline of all the verified users. I don't know if it's like that on Instagram. So I've had a I talk to a lot of people on Twitter, um, but having the blue check marks really helped me there. Yeah, and we got to talk about how you got that got that on Twitter. I'm I'm curious. Well, that that was back in the days when there was like a click here. To get verified, yeah, I've I've literally had it that long. I've had it for like five years. Like, and now you can't really do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, no Twitter, Twitter stuff. All right, beautiful. So now that you've got these, you know, amazing people on your podcast, obviously it's great for building credibility for your podcast. I'm sure your listeners have some name recognition with them. Yeah. How do you capitalize on their audience? And do you do you, do you go in and make that ask? You know, here's a here's a social shareable snippet. Uh, would you mind posting this? Or can I pay to market to your audience? What is the ask there? So there, there's a, there, there's, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed a trend um, from day one when I started the podcast to now, people are just less likely to share now than they were five years ago. Like I got really lucky and Grant Cardone put me out on his Facebook, on his Twitter, on his wow. YouTube channel. So that really like, really gave us, uh, you know, a lot of traffic early on, but I've noticed that guests are much less likely to share. So we've gotten a little creative with it. We make a lot of uh, like viral videos and headliner. So, so they're actually really interested in sharing that. Like I had today's episode was uh, with former uh, FBI head of uh, director of counterintelligence, uh, Frank Figluzzi, and we made him a really cool graphic and everything like that. And he was really excited to put it out. So I find the better pieces you make for them, the more interesting pieces you make for them, the better shot you have. I find too often people just want to send people like a picture and a link and be like, oh, I'll send it here. You have to make something that's interesting to them. And I'm finding a lot of these creative like video social pieces to be really, really like valuable to the person as well. Yeah, that's pretty much the same strategy we've been using. That's why we do the yeah. video. You know, I have we, we cut it up and make some cool options afterwards and and, and publish those. So that's awesome. Uh, any success or experimentation 
uh, like paying people to market to their Facebook audience. Like not, you know, I haven't done that. I've retargeted them myself and I've actually had a lot of success with that. So what we'll do is we'll, I I found that my audience tends to be very similar to um, uh, it's, it's a weird kind of cross section of Lewis Howes and Grant Cardone. So I tend to have some, you know, I've went even like more granular on that in the ad targeting we do, but I tend to retarget their audiences because they tend to do really well with my show. Um, but I'm also, if somebody's like very well known where you can actually retarget their name, I do that. We haven't really done any like joint promotion with guests. Like, Hey, I'll pay you to like target your audience, whatever. It's not a bad idea. I just haven't done it. Cool. And that actually leads me into my next question, which you kind of answered, uh, started to at least, which is now that you've, you know, you've got this show, you've got good guests, you've already reached out and exhausted all of your personal connections. I'm sure you're blasting all of the podcast uh, episodes on your Facebook and socials. Uh, is there anything additional that you're doing to market the show? Uh, do you run ads to it? Do you do email marketing for it? Talk to me a little bit about your game plan. So there's a, there's a couple different things on this. Like one being, um, we're always building our, our email list. I use, uh, it's called getemails.com. And it's a uh, really cool, like, uh, like it's an email retargeting software. So they have, you know, anytime you, you opt into anything, companies do sell your data. And uh, getemails.com has a massive database of all these different people that have opted in for stuff. So it's totally like white hat, like it's not a big deal. But like, they can take about 30% of your anonymous traffic and turn it into email list opt-ins. So we're doing that with a lot of people that go to our site. So then they are getting on the list if they haven't opted in. We're able to retarget them that way. So that's one thing. Um, we also have, we run a set of ads at a lookalike audience of our own email list as well. So we're getting people similar to that, which is really good. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we do. I do a lot of long form content on LinkedIn, meaning you can get like 1300 characters. So I'll write something a little bit longer and then we'll kind of cut it down so that all the characters fit and things like that. Video used to be great on LinkedIn. I'm finding it's just not so good anymore. It's back to just long form characters and plain text. So we're, do, we're doing a lot of that and getting more views that way. But that's a lot of what we've been focusing on. A lot of it's just old school email marketing, some retargeting ads and, and things like that. That's what we really focus on. Awesome. And for anybody who's listening to all of the, the tools and resources that Jeremy's putting out, just check the, check the description there. I've got them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list all of them and as well as check them out for myself because I'm always curious about tools and software as well. And with that being said, let's segue into one of my favorite topics, which is going to be tools and software. I, I, yeah. nerd out, I nerd out on this stuff. I know briefly before we got into this, I was telling you about the new software that I was experimenting with that now you use. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit, I guess not only the tools and software, but yeah. The tools of the trade, like the microphone that you're using, I, I know that you you just touched on that briefly as well. We'd love to hear your your setup, your arsenal. Yeah, so right here I have two, and it's I like a little bit of darker camera lighting too. I know some people like something brighter, so like I actually like like this. Um, but this backdrop here, we actually have a new one that just shipped out, which is a new Create Your Own Life one. This is a Arch Command Your Brand one. I don't have the clips in the bottom, so it's bunched a little more, more than I like. So I have the backdrop. Um, we have two. I use just really. Um, they're, they're newer, they're called. It was with the extra E on the end, N-E-W-E-E-R. So I use two of these like, and they're just accent lights. I don't even use full box lights. I used to, but they kind of white you out. Mm-hmm. Um, my camera right here in the middle is a uh, Canon EOS Rebel T6. So it's not super exciting, but it does like 1080p, which is great. Um, this is a um, Shure SM7B. I'm running a microphone arm, which goes back that way. So it comes out and you know, it depends on like what kind of interview I'm doing. Like I have this here, I might drop it down in front depending on whatever's happening. Um, so that's that part of it. Software I'm using for interviews is I'm using, um, you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier, riverside.fm. Been using it for about four months now. 
And I really, really like it um, because it, it records video in up to 4K and um, it also does high fidelity audio. And the thing I like about it is I think one of the biggest problems we have as podcasters is, is if, if you're having a crap Wi-Fi day, your interview is ruined. Like you're, you're just you're just in trouble, especially if you're on Zoom or something like that. Because I know Zoom also turns down your audio quality just slightly and you can hear it in the final mix. But Riverside records in high fidelity and then it also um, records on each side natively and then uploads to the cloud. So if you have bad Wi-Fi, you're still going to have a, a really great video recording, a really great audio recording. Um, and just from a user experience end, it's really, really easy. So I've, I've, I've been, we've been using that for about, like I said, about four months and I really, really like it. Somebody actually just commented on it and said, wow, this is incredibly easy because I'm used to sending my guests something complicated. So there's that. Um, we also run all of our, after we, we use Adobe Audition for editing and after we do that, we actually use a software called Auphonic and we run all of our audio tracks through that and it does leveling. Because I find it's it's an extra step, but I find that when you listen to a final mix, if the audio is not leveled, you can tell. So we like through the extra leveling on it. Um, that's a lot of what comes to mind. But we, I, it's, I'm very into you know different softwares and tools and stuff like that. I'm very nerdy like that. Same here. Uh, how about hosting the podcast? Do you use one of the services? Do you have your own website? We use Libsyn. Um, I do have a second podcast feed, which is called The Forces of History, and that's hosted on Anchor. It's just because it's like just a little side hobby, and I didn't really want to pay for anything, so we used it on Anchor since it's a free service. But I've used Libsyn since, gosh, 2015, so since I started the show. And they, they've been good. You know, we've, they've really taken good care of us. And I, the thing I like about that as well is you with their feed, you can send out to Spotify, you can send out to Apple Podcasts, Radio.com. Um, What's the other one? iHeartRadio. So there's like a whole bunch of different, there's like seven or eight different places you can send directly from there, including our SoundCloud um, account. So that's really, really, uh, you know, valuable. Cool. And yeah, I've experimented with like 10 of them just because I like to. And yeah. <laughs> from what I've gathered, they all do pretty much the same thing. They're pretty much the same thing. Um, I think um, Libsyn is actually one of the more expensive ones uh, if you look at cost wise, but we've been with them so long and, you know, we, we know the people over there. They're, they're good people. So yeah, I'm sure like you're, you're grandfathered in, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for anyone listening, Anchor's the free one. Uh, and I host my new show on Anchor, by the way. Yeah. Starting a, a finance show as for stock markets with oh, my that's friend cool. is a JP Morgan uh, former former broker, so that should be fun. My uh, my, and- my forces of history show is over there, and it's like so. My like I said, my master's in history, so it's like it's me just talking for like hours on history topics. I do have an interview with Dan Carlin from Hardcore History over there, which I'm stoked about. But um, yeah, it's just that's the forces of history. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds interesting. Again, podcasts and everything. I love it. All right. Um, so I think we've got the recipe for a successful show here. Uh, yeah. We've got the content. We've got the marketing. We've got the tools of the of the trade. Uh, now let's talk just very, very briefly. And I know this is what your company does professionally. You guys get people booked on podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, thought leaders, subject matter experts, uh, working on getting them some exposure on other people's shows such as this one, such as your own. What goes into getting someone booked on a top show? What are hosts looking for? <laughs> it's a lot more than a client thinks. First of all, I'll say that because so many times they're like, they think it's like a la carte, like, okay, I'll take one of those and I'll take yeah. one of those and I'll take one of those. Like, that's not how PR works, man. So like, you know, for us, we're really looking at like, number one, like when we're working with somebody, we don't work with a lot of brand new people for the reason of 
it's harder to get the expectations they have. Like you need somebody that has some media experience that has some chops that has some credibility because it's much easier to get them the things that they want. So that's first and foremost is we're really trying to make sure that we're working with, you know, the right type of people. We want to work with people that what we call visionary founders. They have a big vision. They're into it. They, they show up to really help. And I, so I think that's vital. The second thing is like, we really want to get somebody the right positioning because I find too often, you know, there's like five shows that everybody wants to be on. But for most people, those are vanity metrics. Like they're they're cool, but they're not actually going to help you advance your mission. So that's one thing is really figuring out like what is the positioning they're looking to get and trying to really get them a similar positioning to that. The other thing is we find that every interview really has, we call three parts and it's story, message, and call to action. And we're taking all of our clients through that process. Um, you know, it's not going to be exactly the same in every show because otherwise it'd be kind of weird and sound rote, but really it is. We, we're really trying to get people through that process that they show up in the right way. Because I find that when people are trained in other types of media, they don't quite get the podcast world yet. So there is an extra kind of layer of what you have to take somebody through to get that. And that's even before we're ever looking at putting somebody on a podcast. So it's a lot of prep work, even on the guest end to make sure they show up right. The other thing then um, is, you know, from booking thousands of shows, we have shows we've continually worked with that we know exactly what they're looking for. So we're able to, when we get the right client, show them that. But we're also really good at, at getting in front of the right people too. So that comes down to, to really writing. I find that people write pitches that are entirely too long when really the key part of every pitch is the first 50 words. So we really focus hard on those first 50 words. And yeah, the pitch itself is going to be longer, but you really want to separate those first 50 words and talk about, I find you want to talk about the most impactful things that person has done and how it affects the audience. But, you know, really that, that's what we're looking at when we're looking to get people on the right shows. Yeah, I love that. And like I said, you know, I've, I've heard from your team uh, trying to get people on my show. So I know you guys do great work and it reflects the one sheeters that you guys build are great. Uh, the talking points are awesome. The credibility comes first in all the emails, which is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's awesome. I think it's a podcaster viewpoint though, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like I know, and it's everything that we've done with clients, like, like it's something we've done with the newer ones. I don't know if you've seen this yet on your end, but we have a whole like full media kit we give with like, you know, the graphics you're looking for, the social links, you know, the suggested questions, stuff like that. Like everything I'm looking for as a host is things that we've created. And I think it's really, really important to, to have that viewpoint, right? Because we're going to try and make sure that we're number one, respecting the integrity of shows. And we're also at the same time trying to handle the problems that I have, right? So that's, yeah. that's one of the things that we've really paid attention to. Yep. Love that. Love that. Uh, where do you find podcasts to pitch? Like if somebody is listening to this show, I was like, I want to be a guest. How do I, how do I find shows to get in front of? What's, what's so, the process there? So there's a few different things we're looking at. Like we use um, Chartable a lot so we can see the top 200 lists in every category. Cause when Apple podcast did their latest update, I think like last year, like you can only see main categories now. You can't really even see subcategories. So it's a real pain in the butt to use. So we're using Chartable a lot. Cause you can see like, you know, what's there, where they historically things like that. Um, there's a few like proprietary softwares that we've built that we use so that, so that's been very helpful as well. And we're also always looking at like listening to new shows as well. So I, it's like the team has always got something playing. So that, that's really one of the thing, big things we're doing. We depend a lot on, on Chartable. It's been a good tool for us. Okay. Very cool. Awesome advice. Okay. Brother, that was super action packed to close this thing up. Give me your yeah. three top tips for people trying to start their own podcast. What should they know? What are, what are the biggest mistakes to avoid? 
So I would say like when you're looking at other people's podcasts, use them as inspiration, but don't rip them off. Like I find too often, like there's like, and I, it's funny, I was literally, so I was talking to John Lee Dumas about this, like literally last week. I'm like, I'm like, John, I love what you've done, but there are 250,000 people out there that want to be you. And he just starts dying laughing. Like you need to differentiate. You need to be true to yourself. And I find too often people just want to do somebody else's thing. So number one, I'd say differentiate and be you. Number two, I would say, you know, show up like a professional. Like you don't have to have, you know, a mic like this, but you have to have something that sounds decent because especially for audio only, your first barrier is somebody being able to listen to you. And that's really, really important. The, the other thing, the third thing I would say is be willing to, you know, be in this for a year before you see any success. But most people want to be in it for a month. They, you know, aren't Joe Rogan yet. So they quit. Like you need to be willing, be willing to be in this for a year. So that's what I would say. I'd say differentiate. I'd say have the right equipment and be really be willing to be in this for the long haul. Love it, brother. John Lee Dumas, I'm actually going to be on a show in April. Super excited. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can't wait. John's a good dude. He is. Uh, And with that being said, Mentors Collective is all about mentors. Uh, And you being in the podcast space, who is one podcaster that you really look up to and have respected? Not John Lee Dumas. Does it have to be a podcaster though? Because Because here's the weird thing about it. Like, I've, I've looked at a lot of people cause I've always really focused hard on like, how do I get to be an inter- better interviewer? Yeah. So I've actually listened to a lot of people that aren't podcasters though. I'll say Jordan Harbinger is an incredible interviewer and, and he's been a good help to me. So, so Jordan's one person, but I've listened to a lot of Larry King interviews surprisingly. And I've learned a ton from how he interviews somebody and it's actually trained me a ton on how my setup is. So I'd say, you know, either Jordan Harbinger or Larry King, Larry King, one of the all-time greats. And last question, which I don't usually give since you are one of the, the, the foremost experts that I've had on the show. How did I do? Any constructive criticism for me as an interviewer? No, man. It's great to, great to hang out with you. I've had a great time today. Yeah, same here. This has been a blast. Jeremy, thank you so much for everybody who's listening. I mean, where can they connect with you? Where do, what is your call to action? Yeah. So, you know, we talked a lot about media and getting out in the right places. We talked a lot about podcasting. You know, I don't want people to make the same mistakes that I've met, had trying to make, you know, media appearances and things like that. It's hard, man. So I put together a really awesome one pager for them called the seven reasons you're not getting featured in your favorite podcast. And it's really going to take you through a lot of the basics that you need to have in order to be media ready in order to get seen the right way and, and really get yourself booked. So that's over at commandyourbrand.com slash seven reasons. And the word seven or the number seven will work for that. I'll go ahead and put that right in the caption and I'll check that out for myself too. probably spread it around my team so we can use that on our end. Jeremy, thank you for doing that for the audience. Thank you for coming on the show. This has been a blast. I'm excited to to connect with you afterwards and create a relationship. And for everybody listening, I hope you love this. This has been, you know, one of my favorites so far. So if you loved it, you know, drop a five-star review and subscribe. Jeremy, thank you again. And we'll see you later. Absolutely. You guys, if you loved this episode, do me a favor and click on the link in the description and head over to our exclusive Mentors Collective Facebook community where I post every single day and I give tons of value that I do not post in this podcast. Seriously, if you love this show, you are not going to want to miss that group. You'll also be able to connect with me personally, ask questions, and get access to a ton of free resources that I give out. All right, guys, again, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. Peace out, mentors.